Grace to you, peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We read in 1 Peter chapter 3, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So my question for us as we start today is, are you prepared? Are you prepared with what to say when someone asks you about the reason for the hope that you have? Do you even know what you would say? Do you, do you know, can you articulate the gospel in words that can be clearly understood by other people? And do you know how to say it? Might even be trickier. You can say the right things, but just because you say, Jesus loves you, don't you know that? <clears throat> doesn't mean it's going to be received in the spirit intended. Are you prepared? Do you know what to say? Do you know how to say it? This Advent, Lent is the season. <clears throat> we are not in, the, in, the, in December right now. So uh, this Lent, let's try that again. We are going to be going through a sermon series called The Gospel in Seven Words. Kind of based off this idea, uh, if someone could, comes to you and asks, a reason for the hope that you have, can you say it? And can you say it clearly? Can you say it even succinctly? Right? Seven words. And nothing magical about the word number seven. It's a nice biblical number, of course. Uh, it could be, could be 12. It could be 23 for all that matters. But, but the point is being able to confess with your lips, with your voice, the reason for the hope that you have. So as we, through the, or through the season of Lent, prepare ourselves for the events of Holy Week, that's what Lent is, typically. Um, we have different ways of preparing ourselves, fasting or putting ashes on our head and these sorts of things, right? Maybe abstaining from uh, caffeine or alcohol or something for uh, Lent, giving something up for Lent, or not having meat on Fridays for any of our Catholic brethren. We prepare ourselves for the events of Holy Week, the greatest week of the year, and at that same time, we prepare ourselves to confess, to confess the reason for the hope that we have. There's a story that we read in our gospel reading today. <clears throat> Jesus was teaching, as he often did, and he was teaching to some people who, well, thought pretty highly of themselves. They looked at their life, <laughs> looked at everything that they had accomplished, looked at all the good decisions that they had made, all the right choices. They looked at their wealth. They looked at their health. They looked at their family, how it wasn't like the, those other families that needed 
they all really needed Jesus, right? <laughs> and Jesus was speaking to that, and he tells one of his parables that he often tells, conveying a kingdom truth using earthly means. And he talks about two men. And we've got the tax collector, and we've got a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisee, first man that he talks about, the Pharisee, he's part of the religious elite. He's someone who has kept the commandments probably throughout his life. Uh, when he walks through, he's dressed ornately and has um, long um, uh, uh, beads hanging from his gown. Uh, people respect him in the society. And when he went up to pray to the temple, this is probably either 9 in the morning or 3 in the afternoon because those are the times of prayers, a prayer at the temple. He goes up, he's praying, and he gets, he gets the front row, right? Like, obviously, this Pharisee wasn't a Lutheran, and he was uh, just getting right on up there to the Holy of Holies, or getting as close as he could. He couldn't go in the Holy of Holies, but he could get up towards the temple, and he's praying to God. And he's praying, hey, God, ah, thank you, thanks, 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 you haven't made me like like these other people, those bad people that are out there, those terrorists and those criminals and those murderers and those adulterers and oh, even, even like that poor tax collector back there. Thank you for not making me like him. Look at me. Oh, oh man, I fast twice a week. Fasting was something that Pharisees did Monday and Thursdays. Only commanded once a year in the Bible in Leviticus for Jews, but he did it twice a week. Wow, he is really holy, right? And um, yeah, there's something haughty in his spirit, isn't there? It doesn't take too much to discern this story that, ooh, this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't good to be like that. Now, now we, uh, we might uh, not fully understand or... or um, uh, identify with the Pharisee. I doubt there's many here who fast twice a week throughout the year, maybe. Um, the other thing he talks about, though, is that he ties on everything that he had. Uh, even his herbs. He would give a tenth of his herbs away to the temple. He, was, he tithed a lot I think that starts getting a little closer to home for us as Christians when we thought, start thinking about things that we can be proud of. <clears throat> Lord, I gave X amount of dollars to the capital campaign this past year. <laughs> Not bad. Just filed my taxes, made sure the C that the uh, CPA saw that. Oh, did you get that tax return? <laughs> uh, you see that? See those charitable contributions? And start to identify who, where the spirit of haughtiness, of pride, can creep in. And of course, on the other side, back far from the temple, the tax collector. Tax collectors not looked upon very favorably in, in that society. They are looked down on. Many times they were Jews who were working for the Romans. They were working for the occupiers. They were working for the enemies. They were working for the very people that the Pharisees were praying would leave, be out. 
and he's praying, oh God, be merciful on me, a sinner. His prayer echoes Psalm 51. His prayer has made it down into the liturgy. And we know that this fair, sorry, this tax collector, he must have been a good Lutheran, not just because he was sitting in the back. <laughs> Jesus tells us at the end of this story, the tax collector is the one who went away justified. Hmm. Not the other. speaks pretty, pretty pointedly to us about the spirit that God is looking for. The spirit that receives the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel. It's a spirit of humility. It's a spirit of gentleness and kindness. A spirit of repentance. As we're preparing to confess, we recognize that first and foremost, we need to confess our sins. See how preparing to confess the gospel and, and confess the confession of our sins and preparing for the events of Holy Week, they aren't mutually exclusive. They're actually not that far away from each other. They're very intertwined with one another. This past week was Ash Wednesday, and this past Wednesday I had chapel with the children from Open Arms, and as we had chapel, we had the imposition of ashes. And so I was up here praying with them, and as we had the imposition of ashes, I shared with them the verse from Genesis chapter 3, dust you are and to dust you shall return, and how we think about our mortality and our humility as human beings, right? And, and yeah, wasn't heavy-handed with this. As Lutherans, we, we aren't in our practice. Uh, invited the kids up to receive ashes. Some elected to receive ashes on their forehead, some on their, their hands, right? And others weren't comfortable with it, and that was just fine too. Uh, side note here, uh, as Lutherans, we would say that we are free to not have to give anything up for Lent, and we're free to give something up for Lent if that's what's going to draw us closer to, to God at this moment, right? So we live in the freedom of the gospel, and we, sh we shared not only our mortality, I shared the mor our mortality with uh, these kids, but also, most importantly, our hope in Jesus Christ, that he washes away all our sins, that he's the one who breathes into the dust, both in that first time with the creation of Adam and that second time at our new birth when we came to faith in Christ, where he <sighs> breathes into us so that we're born again as human beings, even kids, right? And this is where I would go to our understanding of the doctrine of original sin, right? Um, original sin, saying that as, 
that even kids, when we're born, we're born with, with sin in our hearts, in our minds. Two things that I will use to, to maybe explain this or to give as a proof of this. Uh, first of all, I, I'll say, we, we regularly say this, um, uh, two wrongs don't make a right. Well, in our case, um, Larry, wrong, sinner. Eden, wrong, sinner. Our kids, welcome. <laughs> uh, sinners, right? We pass that on to them. So uh, they are sinners and need forgiveness of Christ, the grace of God, just as much as any of us. I'll also say this, having a wife who works in preschool, many of you have worked in preschools before, um, know this, that kids are not immune from sin, right? <laughs> they are cute. Uh, we can kind of laugh at some of the things that they do, but they need Jesus, just like all of us. This is preparation for Holy Week, preparation for, for the gospel. And in 2 Corinthians, we heard this this morning. All this new creation talk, gospel talk that we heard, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we've received something, and now God has given it to us to give to other people. That goes for preachers, but that goes for the whole body of Christ. To make a, a distinction, a hard distinction here between pastors and laity, I don't think that's even in, in line with the text. I think Paul is saying that as Christians, we've received this grace, we've received this gospel, and so in our vocations, in our lives, in our jobs, in our families, in our communities, we have these opportunities to proclaim the gospel to others. You see, the confession of, of the gospel, where do we start with that, or start with to prepare for, for that? Well, first, by acknowledging our need for the gospel. I've started with this verse from 1 Peter, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. He goes on to say, but do this with gentleness and respect. I would argue, how do, how do you get to a place so that you are prepared to proclaim the gospel, the how of the God, you know, how you pro proclaim it, uh, it, it with gentleness and respect instead of harsh, instead of heavy-handed, instead of you should know kind of stuff. How do you, well, uh, from a place of humility. How do we get to gentleness and respect? By not thinking too highly of ourselves compared to other people and especially compared to God. The gospel leads us to confess humbly. And I'm going to do that. There we go. Now, as I've been working through this series, 
I've been thinking about, well, how would I prepare to confess the hope that I have in Christ? I'm not going to ask you to do something that I am not able or willing to do. And so, I was thinking about my life. Thinking about the realities of my life and where I was born in Ohio. And many of you know I grew up in northeast Ohio, a small town, Chardon, Ohio, football town, right? Good, good place. Side note, they won the state championship in football for the second year in a row this past <laughs> fall. <clears throat> I like where I'm from. I also was blessed with parents who cared for me, provided for me. And I remember one day, I was probably about seven or eight, and we were in the driveway of our yard. We had, um, this is the first house I lived in, and this blue split-level home, and it was a summer day, clear skies, or as clear as skies get in northeast Ohio, right? It's always partly cloudy. And we were there, and I'm not exactly sure what was happening, but here's what my memory tells me was happening, that my dad was washing his 1969 Z28 Camaro, which uh, he had some pride in, maybe, I don't know. Um, Take that for what it is, good or bad, yeah. But but, uh, we were outside and playing, and I'm not even sure what led up to this conversation, but I said this to my dad. Dad, I want to be like you when I grow up. You're a carpenter, Dad. I want to be a carpenter when I grow up. At that moment, my dad got down on his knee and he looked me in the eye and said it very seriously. Larry, I work with my back so that you can work with your head. Those words have stuck with me. I did nothing to deserve a father or a mother that have been so good to me, provided for me, cared for me through life. Going on, um, as I got into high school, my dad was a carpenter, and so how was, how was a, a carpenter, you know, my mom stayed home most of the time, how was a carpenter going to put a, a son through college? Well, what seemed logical, at least the first couple of years of high school, I was ready to enlist in the Marine Corps so that the government could pay for my education. And that was um, my thought until one day the union came to my dad and some other carpenters, and apparently the government, I, and I, I don't know all the details here, right? So if you poke some holes in this, all I know is, is the end of the story, right? But uh, the, the government came to the union and said, look, you, you've got too much money in your pension fund set away right now. If you don't start giving this back to your carpenters, we're going to start taxing you heavily, so do something. I, I don't know the legalities of all this, but this is what happened. My dad was able to retire at 50. <laughs> when I was 18 years old, making more in his pension than he ever made in a single year working as a carpenter. 
I don't get that. I don't understand that. And then he was able to go on, you know, he still had plenty of working years. As long as he didn't work more than uh, 40 hours a month doing carpentry, he was good to go. So there's plenty of other construction things that he was able to do. And all of a sudden, I'm able to go to college. And not just a co any college. I went to a private college, which aren't free. Concordia, River Forest. And from there, I go on to become, well, a pastor. Here I am. I knew this. And <laughs> I've been given so much grace. And yet, what do I do? Well, I'm not always the good, faithful, honoring son to my parents that the scriptures call me to be. Certainly when I was younger, mom would say, even today when I'm not calling enough, right? <laughs> not only that, but my parents have had money to put me through school. Does that mean I worked really hard in college? I mean, I oftentimes joke that I went to college, played football for four years, and walked away with a degree in psychology, right? Like, I, um, I don't deserve anything. God's given me stuff before, you know, I had done anything. And then when he had done good things for me, I still went and made a mess out of it, or tried to at least, and yet God's grace kept pouring out upon me. And so as I was thinking about my gospel in seven words, this was the backdrop that I've come up with. Could I go other places? Absolutely. But this was the one that's like, man, God has continued to be gracious to me over and over and over with no doing of my own. No deserving on my part. So what's your story? What have you been given in life? What have you been saved from? Maybe addictions, maybe bad relationships, maybe, I don't know, health issues, bad choices that you have made throughout life. What are the things that, that are your backstory to the gospel that, that God still spoke into? As we are thinking about our, our confession of the gospel in seven words, as we get closer to Holy Week, I'm going to ask you all for your gospel in seven words. So you've got homework. But not yet, right? Well, some of you, in fact, after Ash Wednesday's sermon, video sermon that I, that I put out, uh, I already got a couple of you responding with your gospel in seven words. Boom. Here you go, Pastor. And that's good. I'm glad that some of you did that. I'll also say, if you haven't submitted your seven-word gospel yet, let's hold off on that. Let's take time to let this marinate. Let's spend time in prayer 
And if you have submitted your seven-word gospel already, then maybe over the course of these next few weeks, you're able to refine it as you think more about how does the gospel impact me on my, on my heart level? How has the gospel impacted me in my life? So I want to take a moment here and, and, and ask for any questions or thoughts that you all might have. I'll, I'll say this. These next few weeks are going to be very dialogical, if you will, very practical. It might be like a, more like a workshop. In, it might feel more like a workshop than a sermon in some ways. I will uh, try to be up here and with a whiteboard or with a, a newsprint and writing some stuff down, and you all will be like, oh, that's just chicken scratch, Pastor Larry. What are you? Yeah, but we're going to work together on this. So we're, we're not quite there yet, but as we prepare to confess... Do you have questions, concerns, questions about the gospel, about the series, maybe reservations that you have? Anyone? Looking forward to it. Good. Thank you. Chris, I saw your hand. Yeah. How important both God and Jesus are. Yeah, yeah. That, no, really good point. And so you, a couple things I want to hit on there as you, you talked. Um, think of the New Testament typ- typically when we think of the gospel. Now, I'll say this, that there is gospel in the Old Testament, and there's gospel in the New Testament, and there's law in the Old Testament, and there's law in the New Testament, right? And so the way that I've heard it said, and I, I like, is that the Old Testament is the gospel concealed, it's hidden, right? That was before, before Jesus came and made manifest all the things of God, Right? And that the New Testament tends to be the gospel revealed, right? Where the word is made flesh and comes down and dwells among us, right? So there's that. And also to that point, this is a bit of a tangent, but when I say the gospel, I'm also not talking about gospel music, right? Not a genre of music. Uh, I'm not talking about the, the, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. That's a little different than where, where I'm going, Specifically, when I'm talking about the gospel, I'm talking about the good news, right? The good news. And, and we as Lutherans often distinguish between law and gospel in, well, understanding of Scripture, we say this that the word of God rightly divided is, is rightly divided between law and gospel. Uh, in my preaching, I try to bring out the gospel every week, right? The gospel is the power of salvation. So the, um, 
Other point, though, yes, is seven words, is it hard? Yes. On, on the other hand, um, if someone comes to us and says, give me a reason for the hope that you have, and we just start reciting the Apostles' Creed to them, like, that might be a little clunky as well, right? And so I think that the challenge of putting it in seven words, is it going to include everything? Absolutely not, right? The gospel, um, John tells us at the end of his gospel book, right, uh, he tells us that if everything that Jesus Christ had done was written in books, there wouldn't be enough room in the whole world to contain all the books, right? Like, the gospel is big, and these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some various themes of the gospel. However, I'd also say that there's something about us being able to clearly articulate, even if we don't say our seven-word gospel verbatim to someone else, knowing in our hearts what the, the essence of the gospel as it's come to me uh, means, I, I think there's, there's value in that. So uh, is that helpful? Any rebuttal or no? Oh, good. Okay, cool. Uh, I saw, let's see, uh, Donalyn and then John. Sure. But what I meant when I say with Jesus I am safe, it doesn't matter what happens to me, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm always in the grace of Jesus Christ in, in my sin-filled life that I have. And that requires a conscious work and effort, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm a human being. But when I said with Jesus I am safe, he just stopped talking. Hmm. <laughs> And, um, and, it, and then after that, I can kind of explain. It's less than seven words. I think it's six. But um, that has worked for me. Um, and I did have one of my Jewish friends say, well, I'm so full of anxiety all the time, and nothing ever bothers you. Why are you always so peaceful? Hmm. And um, I just said, uh, Maddie, it's, it's Jesus. With Jesus, I'm safe. And, they, and some people ask questions, but... Yeah, yeah, and so you're prepared now. Uh, with Jesus, I'm safe, right? Something that's probably somewhere along the lines of what your seven-word gospel is, right? And and yet, uh, you know, how someone responds to that? Well, we can't control that. Right. Yeah. So it felt good to me. And yeah. You were saying that um, it, regardless of what the words are, you have to be connected to that, and it has to mean something to you, and that's Yeah, no, that's good. Thank you, Donalyn. That's really good. John. I need 10 words. I mean, can we barter here? Yeah, right, right, right. So, so. Uh, it's arbitrary. 
Right, I'm not, uh, there's nothing magical or salvific about the, the number seven, right? So, so uh, do your best um, to get to seven. Well, and, and I'll, I'll, to answer your question, where does that come from? There was, and I, I talked about this uh, a little bit in my Ash Wednesday sermon, but an um, article in a Christian news magazine, I don't know, about a decade ago, where the author of the article uh, uh, I'm sorry, asked prominent theologians in the United States, can you share the gospel with me in seven words or less, right? Or something to that effect. And so that's sort of where this comes from, but it's, it's arbitrary. Um, so I'm not in any way going to um, preach judgment uh, upon those who have an 11-word confession, Although I'll think a little higher of those who have a seven-word con- no, just kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> just kidding. Jody, do, you, do I was just okay. Yeah, not not quite seven weeks till. Yeah, but so yeah. Any other thoughts? Dan. Yeah. Right. How do we make it relevant? That is exactly what we're going for. Is there truth that the gospel has been, is universally important? Yes. It has been for thousands of years. Yes. Amen. And yet, we can recite the creed, which we're going to do in just a few minutes. We can do that every week. But if we can't bring it to today, uh, then there's going to be a disconnect between us and our, whether it be our unbelieving neighbors but also, as Christians, just as important is as parents as we confess the gospel to our children or to our, our spouse, right? Like, as we speak back and forth the truths of God's grace to one another, that's equally as important because guess what? I need to hear the gospel from you. <laughs> so, let me, let me just um, cl- close with this verse here. This is from Psalm 51. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Right? Do you see how this verse calls out that our ability to confess the gospel still requires the power of God. Right? O Lord, open my lips. Because if it were left up to me, I'd just be <clears throat> mute, right? But Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare you praise. And does anyone know who wrote this and when it was written? Written? Wrote. <laughs> See, oh Lord, open my lips and help me have good grammar. Yeah. David wrote this. Wrote this. Absolutely. Does anyone know when David wrote Psalm 51? What's that? After he had committed adultery with another man's wife, after he had murdered another man, like this is his confess. This is on the heels of his confession. So this isn't coming from his strength and his piety. This is coming from his humility. And still, there he's praying. And Lord, Lord, broken sinner that I am, 
Help me to also proclaim the truth of your grace to others, a truth that we look forward to, that we will celebrate and commemorate in Holy Week about the life and the death of our Lord Jesus who took our sins upon the cross, even our sins of unwillingness to confess the gospel, took that upon the cross so that we could be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we could live lives of righteousness, think righteously, and speak with open lips that declare the praises of our God in heaven. Amen.